is Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. And before I read it, I want to, you to notice the first three words. It says, for this reason. And you may be wondering, well, what reason? It's kind of like walking into a room and everyone's crying and you don't know what they're crying about, you know. So anyway, if you back up a few paragraphs, you find that Paul is talking about the mystery of God's grace that has been revealed and is being revealed through the church. And part of the mystery is that both Jews and Gentiles are being made one body. And then he also talks about his responsibility and his call um, by God. He's being called by God to a particular work. And so that's what is leading up to this where he says, For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole... Oh, sorry. Stand, please, for the reading of God's word. Sorry. Okay, let's, let's go. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Dean. A couple of things uh, before I get into my message this morning. Um, first of all, uh, some of you have asked about Julie. She's in, um, well, she's actually in Oregon today. She was in Washington yesterday at the funeral of a, closet, a cousin that she um, was quite, quite close to. So she and her sister Suzanne uh, went to be at that funeral, and she'll be back early this week. Um, the second thing I need to do is say thank you to those like Connie and, and Irene who kind of ha- had to do some extra duty because Julie's been gone. And uh, Chad, who got some surprises that he wasn't expecting this morning, and I'll explain a little more about that. Um, first of all, take out your outline and turn it over and use the backside because we're not going to use that outline this morning. <laughs> I'll preach that one in a couple of weeks. Um, I came down with a stomach bug Tuesday night and was basically out of action for a couple of days, and I'm not a. I used to. I used to serve a pastor who took a Wednesday morning out of the office and wrote his sermon. I cannot do that. That is not me. My sermon is a is a work in progress through the week, and hopefully, uh, most of the time I'm done by Thursday. But it's not unusual. I take Friday off, so not unusual that I'll come in on Saturday maybe to do some finishing touches. Well, I put, I'd given my outline to uh, Connie this week because Bernice was out of the office and it got loaded on the computer, but because I was out of it for two days, I just, this wasn't happening. It wasn't coming together, so I did something 
it's nice to have file drawers full of sermons that you've preached before. <clears throat> and I pulled one out, and as a pastor friend of mine used to say, massaged it a little. And uh, that's what you're going to hear from me today. Now, this doesn't, it doesn't take us in a totally different direction than we've been. Um, but I need to do something um, that, you know, I, I was in the office Friday. That's when I really started my message. And, and so um, that's why you're getting what you're getting today. But you'll, you can save this one or we'll reprint it for you again in a couple of weeks. Um, but this really fits, I think, with the direction we were going with Go Be the Church. What we're talking about today is our motivating factor for Go Be the Church. It's that love that Paul says, I hope you can grasp and understand how incredible this love of God is. How long and high and wide and deep. That's his prayer for us. So, that's, that's where we're going today. Paul wants us to understand, to grasp how incredibly deep Christ's love for us is. And others. Christ's love for us is, and others, every others. Do you know what I mean by that? Christ's love for, there is nobody on the planet that God does not have this incredible love for. There's a scripture that says, He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I don't care who they are. I don't care what language they speak. I don't care what color their skin is. I don't care what kind of lifestyle they they live or what kind of stuff they've been into. Jesus loves them. And He wants them in heaven with Him someday. So, we're going to dive into this this morning. God thinks you are worth loving and He's never wrong. Now, this is going to be personalized. It's going to be for us today. But I want you to take this same message and think about laying that over on those that God has called us to reach for Him, okay? God thinks you and I are worth loving and He's never wrong. Right? God's never wrong. Have you ever had the experience of calling out of the bed in the morning and and looking in the mirror and saying, why didn't God make me better looking? Or something to that effect. You know, we ask ourselves, oh, I wish I was, you know, smarter or, or more this or more that. Or, um, you know, I wish I'd have been in the top percent of my class. Or I wish I had more talent. Or, and, but you know what? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're up here or down here or you're great looking or not so great looking. You're smart or not so smart or you're talented or not so talented. It doesn't mean that for any of those reasons that God wouldn't love you. Rich or poor, smart or not so smart, talented or not talented. It doesn't mean that God loves you for who you are right now. He made you who you are right now. God takes delight in you. You know, we know God's supposed to love us, but the fact that He delights in us, I remember when I got that revelation. Because I, I, I'd grown up knowing God was supposed to love me. What I didn't know is that He took delight in me. That He liked me. Have you ever thought about that? 
God likes you. He made you. Why would He not like you? God takes delight in us. Listen to what King David says about how God feels about you. He calls you the crowning work of His creation. Psalm 139, verses 13 through 18. You, speaking to God, made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. That's awesome. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. They're like the sands of the seashore. That was my addition. That's not in there. I can't count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. See, I told you. And when I wake up, you are still with me. So here's something to take home with you today. It's what God thinks about you that really counts. It's what God thinks about you that really counts. And He just told us what He thinks about us. You know what? One of the big moments in all of history, some people would say this is the big one, but I think, you know, Christ's birth and His resurrection, I, there's two great moments in history. But one of the big moments in history was the night when God sent His Son to be born. From the beginning of the world, God had been preparing for this event. In many ways, and especially through the prophets, God had spoken of His Son's coming. God chose the ideal place and the ideal time for the miracle of His Son's arrival to happen. The Scripture tells us that when the time had fully come, God sent His Son. Imagine with me for a moment this scene in heaven. And I don't know if it really worked this way, but let's imagine for a minute. Like an instructor sending his student on a solo flight or or a coach talking to his quarterback before sending him into the championship game. The Father God is talking to His Son Jesus. What did He say? What was God's last word to Jesus before sending Him on His important assignment of redeeming the world? What God said to Jesus had to be life-changing, overpowering, beautiful. What departing message did God give Jesus to bring us? God said to Jesus, Give them all my love. And He did. The Living Bible says it, says it well, Romans chapter 5, verses 6-8, through 8, When we were utterly helpless, with no way of escape, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners who had no use for Him. Even if we were good, we wouldn't expect someone to die for us, though of course that might be barely possible. But God showed His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. So the good news is that in love, God has sent Jesus, His Son, to rescue us, to save us 
For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. That's why He sent Him. So it's important that we believe this for ourselves, certainly, but we must believe this for others as well, right? No matter who they are. That belief has to be at the heart of who we are, who we are if we are going to go be the church. After all, isn't that what motivates us? Christ's love for us and the love He gives us for others? And there is no greater love than this. Again, the Living Bible says, While we were utterly helpless and with no means of escape, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners who had no use for Him. God has clearly revealed His love for us in the earthly life of Jesus His Son. Jesus said in John fourteen nineteen, Anyone who has seen Me has seen the Father. In John 10.30, He also said, I and the Father are one. And in John 10.38, the Father is in Me, and I in the Father. So when we see Jesus and His love, it's the love of the Father we're seeing for us. So, do you want to know what the love of God is like? Look at Jesus. All the fullness of God's love is seen in Jesus. So what does that look like? What does that love look like? We're going to look at a couple of things this morning. First of all, Jesus loved without discrimination. Jesus loved without discrimination, and I would say he still does. His own people turned against him because he ate with sinners. Can you believe that? At Jacob's well, and we talked about this encounter, he, at Jacob's well, he encountered an adulterous woman of the hated Samaritan race. And instead of snubbing her and treating her like dirt, he saw in her potential and value and helped her become a child of God. He called a traitorous Roman collaborating tax collector to be one of his disciples. Do you know who that was? Matthew. They call him Levi, too. The book he wrote is part of our Bible today. He made a special trip across the lake to free a man of demons so that the gospel might be shared in the Gentile Decapolis, a place where most Jews would never go. So man, woman, Jew, Gentile, rich, poor, lame, sick... Outcast, it did not matter. Jesus loved them all. He still does. There is no sinner or outcast of any race that He will not help become a respectable child of God. Isn't the love of Jesus amazing? And then Jesus loves in spite of. Jesus loves in spite of. See, Jesus does not withhold His love. He gives it. He does not say, and this is a lie that Satan likes to perpetrate among people, but Jesus does not say, reform, clean up your act, get your ducks in a row, do as I say, and then I will love you. 
He just loves us. Oh, how I love Jesus because He... Yeah. Jesus loves us just as we are with our strengths and weaknesses, with our past and our future, with our sinful choices and the scars they have left, warts and all. Even when He was dying on the cross, He still loved those who were putting Him to death. He said this, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. Isn't the love of Jesus amazing? And then, Jesus' love is a stubborn love. Jesus' love is a stubborn love. See, you can't make God stop loving you. Hallelujah. You may ignore Him, resist Him, insult Him, reject Him. You may commit every sin in the book, but you can't make God stop loving you. For example, the betrayer Judas sold his Lord for 30 pieces of silver. All the time, Jesus knew what was in Judas' heart. Yet in tender love, he washed Judas' feet right along with the other disciples. He offered Judas the morsel out of the common dish, which was a gesture of friendship in that culture. In the garden, at the very moment of betrayal, as Judas put the finger on Jesus with the kiss of death, Jesus once again reached out to Judas in love. He said, my friend, go ahead and do what you have come for. There was no time while Judas was alive but that he could have turned to God and been forgiven. The love of Jesus forgave and restored Peter, guilty, broken, disillusioned, after his terrible failure in denying Jesus when he went to the cross. Remember this? O love that will not let me go, I rest my weary soul in thee, I give thee back the life I owe, that in thine ocean depths its flow may richer be. Isn't the love of Jesus amazing? Because the Apostle Paul was in awe of this amazing love, he prayed this prayer for the church at Ephesus. And it's the prayer that Dean read for us this morning. I pray that you being rooted and established in love together with all the saints may have the power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love which surpasses knowledge. That's amazing love. To the Romans he wrote, For I am convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is amazing love. That is love that never gives up. That is love that reaches out to you and me and others. 
That is love that saves. That is love that Jesus Christ has for all of us. All of us. When the love of Jesus conquers, it doesn't imprison, it doesn't enslave, it doesn't oppress, it saves. John Johnston, in his book, Courage, You Can Stand Strong in the Face of Fear, shares this story. Ted Stollard undoubtedly qualifies as one of the least. Turned off by school, very sloppy in appearance, expressionless, unattractive. Even his teacher, Miss Thompson, enjoyed bearing down her red pen as she placed X's beside his many wrong answers. If only she had studied his records more carefully. They read, first grade. Ted shows promise with his work and attitude, but has a poor home situation. Second grade. Ted could do better. Mother seriously ill, receives little help from home. Third grade. Ted is a good boy, but too serious. He is slow to learn. He is a slow learner. His mother died this year. Fourth grade. Ted is very slow, but well behaved. His father shows no interest whatsoever. That year Christmas arrived. The children piled elaborately wrapped gifts on their teacher's desk. Ted brought one too. It was wrapped in brown paper and held together with scotch tape. Miss Thompson opened the gift as the children crowded around to watch. Out of Ted's package fell a gaudy rhinestone bracelet with half of the stones missing and a bottle of cheap perfume. The children began to snicker. But she silenced them by splashing some of the perfume on her wrist and letting them smell it. She put the bracelet on too. At the day's end, the other children had left. Ted came by the teacher's desk and said, Miss Thompson, you smell just like my mother. And the bracelet looks real pretty on you. I'm glad you like my presence. He left. Miss Thompson got down on her knees and asked God to forgive her and change her attitude. The next day, the children were greeted by a Reformed teacher, one committed to loving each of them, especially the slow ones, especially Ted. Surprisingly, or maybe not surprisingly, Ted began to show great improvement. He actually caught up with most of the students and even passed a few. Time came and went. Miss Thompson heard nothing from Ted for a long time. Then one day, she received this note. Dear Miss Thompson, I wanted you to be the first to know I will be graduating second in my class. Love, Ted. Four years later, another note arrived. Dear Miss Thompson, they just told me I will be graduating first in my class. I wanted you to be the first to know. The university has not been been easy, but I liked it. Love, Ted. And four years later, Dear Miss Thompson, as of today, I am Theodore Stollard, M.D. How about that? I wanted you to be the first to know. I'm getting married next month, the 27th to be, the, to be exact. I want you to come and sit where my mother would sit if she were alive. You are the only family I have now. 
Dad died last year. Miss Thompson attended that wedding and sat where Ted's mother would have sat. The compassion she had shown the young man entitled her to that privilege. And then he goes on, that's the end of the story, he goes on to say, let's have some real courage and start loving one of the least. He may become a Ted Stollard. Even if that doesn't happen, we will have been faithful to the one who has always treated us as unworthy as we are, like very special people. Isn't Jesus' love amazing? Listen, if we are to go be the church, then we must love like Jesus loves. In spite of, without discrimination, stubbornly. That is the kind of love that saves. And we don't do it ourselves. We don't have the capacity to love like this. It is Jesus who allows us to love this way. But when we do, it draws people to Him. And Jesus saves. Remember Robert Schuller? Be happy you are loved. He wrote, God loves you. One of the greatest things a person can know is that they are loved. It makes me feel terrific when my wife or one of my daughters says, I love you. God has said He loves you in many ways, but the very loudest is Jesus. No matter what you think is wrong with yourself, God loves you and believes you are worth saving. But God showed His great love for us by sending Jesus to die for us while we were still sinners. It would seem that none of us is worth such a costly love on our behalf. Yet God gave all of His love for us. Why did He send Jesus to die on the cross? To save us from our sins. I think most of us know that. But that isn't all. There is more. Jesus died because God believed that man is worth saving. We are. They are. God really does love you and will not give up on you. No matter how horrible you think your sin is, no matter how you run or resist Him, God's love will pursue you because he wants to save you. Second Peter 3.9 says, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And here's the point of it all. This whole message has been personal. God loves you. But we need, what we need to come away with today is the understanding that God loves others as much as He loves us. Just as much as He loves us without discrimination, in spite of, and stubbornly. If we are going to be the church, we need not only to tell people about that kind of amazing love, we need to show people that kind of amazing love. See, 
we may be the only Jesus some people ever see. That is God's love. That is love that saves. Isn't God's love amazing? If I could have those who will be serving us with communion this morning prepare and come at this time.